in general, we offer a very safe and secure and easy way to buy cryptocurrency. Um, you just take up your, ba- uh, your mobile bank ID and sign the Swiss transaction, and then you have crypto in your wallet. And it's also powered by the Fireblocks MPC technology, which is the most secure way to store your private keys. My name is uh, Alex, and uh, I work at Safello, the biggest cryptocurrency exchange here in Sweden, as the role operational associate at the moment. Um, Safello is <clears throat> has been regulated uh, by the Swedish Financial Authority since 2013, and um, have a very compliance ap- first approach to create this safe fellow environment for all um, new people coming into crypto. My personal passion uh, is for crypto and to get as a broad uh, perspective as possible, which has uh, in the end led me to have different lectures at different schools like Stockholm University and Handels in order to teach people the fundamentals of cryptocurrency and why digital assets are so important. And I hope you enjoyed this episode and that you will learn something. Thank you. You're plugging in to the Digital Assets So, Alexander, welcome to the, the podcast. Thank what, you. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about your background and what brings you here today? Yes, um, of course. So, yeah, my name is Alex and um, I have been in crypto since 2017. So I'm not like this old-time OG to, to 2013 uh, person that has bitcoins from, you know, way, way back. But uh, my background is finance and, uh, well, investing in trading, pretty much. And then uh, when I started in Lund for four years, getting to bachelors, um, I just found this passion for monetary history and investing and and so on. And uh, first, I you know studied o- uh, ordinary traditional finance and business cycles and how to really understand the landscape of investing. And then I really became interested in the monetary history aspect. So I found some YouTube channels and you know started reading about gold, silver, and all the fiat currencies that have been around. And then I met a person in Lund that uh, he was like really good at uh, Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. It was really early in Bitcoin. And at that time I was trading a lot. So I've, I found this cool pattern on Bitcoin called Elliott Wave, meaning that uh, markets usually goes up in like five cycles. And uh, I'm like, okay, this is something interesting here. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it was very volatile. So you could earn a lot of money, right? But I asked him and he was like, yeah, but hey, man, look look at these videos and, and stuff like that. And then I just, you know, my passion just exploded. Because what what really Bitcoin does, is if you understand the monetary aspect of money and what money is and how money became, you can really see how big this is, right? It's, it's a new shift in the financial system that has never happened ever uh, in a way. So that's, I guess, my short background. <laughs> and then... You know, I started to uh, do some YouTube videos, some technical analysis, and started to study blockchain a little bit more in depth and try to program some Solidity. Uh, but I'm not a programmer, so <laughs> I, uh, Solidity is the programming language of Ethereum, for those that don't know. Um, and then, you know, I found Safello. Um, Safello needed people uh, to work, and I sent in my resume and made a video uh, CV. And after that, I'm here. <laughs> I guess. So in developing your passion towards cryptocurrencies and namely Bitcoin, mm. uh, you mentioned uh, discovering Bitcoin and its relation to money. So what is money and how does Bitcoin 
be the optimal uh, form of money? Yes, um, that's a really good question because to really you know, understand Bitcoin, you need to understand money and what gives money its value, right? So money has two properties in a way. It should be a store value and a medium of exchange, meaning that it should store the value of your purchasing power on the long periods of time um, and be a medium of exchange, meaning that you can buy goods and services for it. And money should actually be a way to store your financial energy in a way. Because when you work and you, you waste your time, which is, which is your most valuable resource, you want this money to have value in the future so you can save and maybe buy something down the line. Um, there's been many things that has been money, but a lot of them has always failed uh, for different reasons. For example, um, you had seashells that was money a long time ago, and you had tulistics in Great Britain where they had like uh, a way to track how much you owed people by scratching on the wood. Um, but all of this money has been very cumbersome and very hard to uh, interact with. So, so the easiest form of money that came about was first gold and silver. And the reason for this is because you can't create more and it could be divisible, it was very fungible, meaning that you could just split it into many pieces and it was easily weightable and you could um, take it across you know, the world in a very, very easy way. And this created a new form of civilization, you could say, because before people had barter, right? Oh, I trade my fish for the cow, but it's kind of hard to measure measure how much, how many fish is a cow worth, right? And what type of fish. So um, that was the first type of money, and that's how Athens and Rome and everything became about. Uh, but money has always been, after a while, diluted and corrupted, meaning that when, um, well, greedy people come to power, uh, they usually dilute the currency supplies and uh, supply uh, by, at that time, mixing the metals with other metals. And why would they do this? Well, if you want to expand an empire and you want to borrow money in from the future, you want to spend more money than you have, you have to in some way create it. You either do that by taxation, not create it, but you know, um, receive it and increase it. Uh, you do so by taxation, but taxation can make people in the society very angry. So the other way is just to create more of it. So for example, in Rome, when they wanted, uh, no, Athens, well, both actually, when they wanted to expand their empire and fund wars and they didn't have enough money, what happened was that they mixed it with copper and other base metals. Uh, and this led to eventually the people realizing this and you got really high inflation for it because the more quantity there is, you know, eventually the value will will uh, go down. And you could always say that the the... Uh, the value of a society is in direct proportion to the value of the currency. And the reason for this is because if you have a stable currency, people can really invest for the future and they could take time to do stuff. Uh, they can maybe save their gold for 10 years and you know that you can buy as much as you can 10 years ago. But if you have a currency that's very elastic and you can just create more of, eventually, 100% of the times uh, throughout human history, the, the currency has always failed. So... That, that's the important part of sound money, right? And then what Bitcoin has and what Bitcoin gives the value of in today's society is the first internet type of gold, you could you could say. It has the same properties as gold does and it has other components, which, which we can go into later, which is the blockchain technology. Um, yeah, so <laughs> that was maybe a short answer. Great answer, though, uh, I have you. to say. 
Uh, well, with that then, I guess we can just move directly into it. So what is a blockchain and uh, cryptocurrencies? Well, mm. well how, how do you define a cryptocurrency and would you prefer the term crypto asset? I actually prefer the, the term digital assets, a little bit like your society, <laughs> right? <laughs> well played. <laughs> yeah, well thank played. Thank you, thank you. Uh, no, but to um, the blockchain, to really simplify it in basic basic terms, because it, it can be kind of complicated, and I'm not really a tech nerd either. Uh, I just had to learn it the hard way, I guess. Uh, but it's it's just a digital uh, ledger. So you can think of it as a big Excel sheet that has all uh, all type of different data in it. And Bitcoin per se has transactions and uh, the amount of Bitcoins that has been transacted in a block. This data in the Excel sheet is open for everyone to look, but no one can change it. And it's verified by all the miners in the network that mine and try to, you know, find, um, find the, create new Bitcoins, right? So they solve really hard, complex mathematical problems. And this leads to um, an incentive to do so, which also secures the network. So you can think of it as like Satoshi Nakamoto who created Bitcoin. Uh, if it's a guy, girl, or a group, we don't know. But we do know that it doesn't really matter who it is because the same thing with geography. We don't know who, who created geography or actually we have some thoughts, but it works, right? So Bitcoin works either uh, nonetheless who Satoshi is. And what he, he really dug into is the first, you know, human greed in a way because if it's something that connects people around the world, it's the incentive to earn money. And when people secure this network, they earn money. And the more secure the network gets, the more valuable it gets, because the more people that want to store their wealth in this network, actually price goes up. And if price goes up, it's more uh, valuable to mine. And that's that's a cool uh, new way of interacting with digital money, you could say. How much would you say that your your focus has been on? Obviously, Bitcoin kind of founded the whole whole cryptocurrency wave. But how much would you say you focus on Bitcoin uh, as an ISO class versus the rest of like Ethereum and all the altcoins as well? Well, I think everyone has this journey in crypto. Maybe now it's it's a lot of people getting in from an NFT standpoint because mm -hmm. people can really relate to pictures of monkeys and stuff and think it's crazy, right? But for me personally, I went into the maxi camp at first. So I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, Bitcoin is the only thing that matters. And and the reason for it is actually a valid uh, reason, I would argue. And that is because when you look at the philosophy of Bitcoin, it solves a much deeper um, problem in society, you know, people's wealth and a way to create equality around the world, which maybe the other protocols don't solve in the same way. So I understand why people really want uh, the Bitcoin protocol to work and the cryptocurrency of Bitcoin, of course. Um, but I started with uh, Bitcoin, and then uh, I was skeptic about Ethereum and everything, but eventually I realized this is not even the same thing. Ethereum, for example, is just uh, a platform to build, you know, decentralized apps on top of, meaning actually other cryptocurrencies. Uh, we can go into that as well later. Um, so that, that was how it started for me, and um, yeah... So as you mentioned before, uh, I guess Bitcoin is its uh, own asset. Like Bitcoin and Ethereum are totally different. Mm. Uh, how would you? How do you view the digital asset space in terms of asset classes? Then, so Bitcoin, for example, is a mm. store of value or mm. money, mm. whereas Ethereum is something else. And there is a large argument that we've made in the digital asset society 
that a lot of these crypto projects can be viewed as companies per mm. se. Mm. So how, how do you view these different asset, cl asset classes? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question because I, I think and I really believe because money is subjective, right? So money, like we go back to that part is uh, if we want something to have value, it has value, right? A painting has value, not because someone says it's because it's very subjective, right? And money is pretty much the same thing. Uh, and Bitcoin for me is uh, digital money and digital gold, but it's still very early, right? So it's an experiment, but it's also an experiment where people, I would say in this current environment has to, no financial advice, <laughs> has to have maybe some exposure to cryptocurrencies and maybe Bitcoin. And the reason for it, if we look at the inflation rate, which is like the highest in 40 years, uh, people will eventually realize that the money that they have in real terms, the assets that they have in real terms are going down uh, from a purchasing power standpoint. And I think Bitcoin will will really be a good hedge, maybe not now, but in the future, um, when people really start to think over their uh, currency value. Um, because you don't need that much um, a percentage in uh, of your portfolio in Bitcoin because it's a, a symmetric bet, meaning that um, you maybe risk a little bit, but you can earn a lot, lot more than if you risk 100% of your assets in or money uh, or currency in in your uh, in the stock market. But you want six percent. You know that's an ordinary bet. So Bitcoin has become this like store of value, digital gold type of asset. Uh, meaning, but uh, the other the other cryptocurrency landscape, which is like extremely big and which is rising at an exponential rate, has 16,000 different coins. And, you know, when you see that, you're like, first you think Bitcoin, every one of those are the same. So you're like, well, Bitcoin is is a scam too, right? But then you really um, look at other uh, assets like Ethereum and is really using the blockchain technology, which is just a way to store data and value, digital value. Uh, and they started to be able to program that, right? You could program that value inside of this blockchain, you could say, uh, with their programming language. So you now could add logic to money. Uh, Bitcoin can only transact in some ways, but Ethereum, you can create a lot more different things. For example, all the NFTs, most of them are built on the Ethereum blockchain, uh, for example. And the DeFi and the Metaverse will probably be powered by all of these different layer ones. Uh, okay, <laughs> layer ones, Ethereum, for example, Solana, Terra Luna, etc., etc. So it has been from this just digital gold uh, as a space to this explosive new innovative world, uh, which is the crypto world, where people are building like crazy and they don't have time to think about regulation. Everyone lives in their bubbles because it's so big and it's 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 really fundamentally changing how we humans will interact with each other. And the reason for it uh, is because it cuts out all the middlemen, right? So what the internet did to information, now you don't need to uh, be, you know, next to each other or newspaper, whatever, in order to talk to each other. You could go to the web and connect. This is what crypto is doing, but with money. And now you can program money and you can pretty much do everything you want with the digital asset space and the money you program. But it's very hard to, in these early stages, to really understand what will be valuable and what will not. Um Maybe, I don't know if that was complicated. I guess enough, uh, with that, then, do, do you almost see some similarities since you, you've studied monetary history? Uh, do you see some similarities between the internet bubble in 1999, where, you know, there's so many different tech companies and you don't know which one's going to be successful? Uh, do you see some similarities in that and crypto, or is it almost a 
very it's very hard to compare. No, I think it's it's a it's a great way to have a reference to it, right? A lot of crypto projects, majority of them go to zero. Uh, majority of them don't survive. Uh, just like the te- dot com bubble, we have pets dot com, etc. So I really think it's really important to be careful, and that's why I personally try not to, you know, go into too many different tokens, but maybe go into the infrastructure that, you know, makes all of this whole world work, right? And there's ordinary stocks that do that. Some companies like Nvidia, I think it's called, uh, which which makes GPU processors uh, and everything, which will power the metaverse, for example. Um, but yeah, so. Um, yeah, brain freeze. <laughs> <laughs> it happens to all of us. Yeah, no, but I think uh, b- before coming on the podcast, I had, I had a chance to read your your article, and I think it's always it's always fun to to look back. And so, in t- uh, May eleventh of twenty twenty, uh, mm. you wrote something called a life changing opportunity. Mm. And I thought it could be fun to kind of reflect, kind of maybe yeah. about your thought process when you wrote this, or even earlier when you you started coming into the space in twenty seventeen. Uh, and kind of reflecting, I mean, looking at you had Bitcoin at uh, 8,600, Ethereum was at $186. Mm. Uh, what else is here? Uh, Chainlink was at $3.70. Mm. So uh, you've obviously been in, in the market for a while. Uh, but how has your kind of mindset shifted from maybe like the early days uh, towards towards today, working at Cefello and et cetera? Mm. Yeah, yeah, of course. So I always change, right? Because everything is growing so fast. So I try to be as humble as possible. But to be honest, when NFTs, for example, came out, and DeFi as well, I was like, what is this? Like, yeah. <laughs> because you don't really understand it, right? And it's NFTs is something that I really had to dig into a little bit more because, for example, if I just go into that track a little bit fast here, um, NFTs is also one of these things that, like the blockchain did, NFTs secures who owns the digital asset. So if we think that the world is going more into a digital world where people value their digital items more. Like it could be their profile picture, it could be their a skin in the game, uh, meaning that you earn money when you play games and you you know see a skins and such. Someone needs to secure that and who owns what, right? Otherwise you could just make copies and it's faked. So that's what NFTs does. They, they, they verify that the digital items that you have and digital assets in crypto is uh, verified. But my, my thought process is always changing. And there's so many different layers in a in a crypto ecosystem, right? Because, for example, Ethereum, I think it has 4,000 developers and 2,000 different projects built on top of it. And all of these projects can interact with each other, right? So it, it becomes like you have layer one and then you have layer two. And then you have, for example, Ethereum, which powers the DeFi space, which is decentralized finance. Mm-hmm. And Chainlink, for example, that you mentioned, brings all the data into this uh, DeFi world on Ethereum and then other projects that use maybe, you know, pricing, uh, market maker, etc. need that data to really make price efficient. So they borrow from that protocol and you get this lead of like everyone uses each other uh, in a way and learns from each other and extracts data from each other, which creates this universe. You can think of like a galaxy where uh, Ethereum is the galaxy and then you have planets, which really makes the base layer of everything in the Ethereum ecosystem and then in on these planets you have houses, so it's 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 extremely interesting, and this makes cryptocurrency grow at an exponential rate, right? And also the adoption rates for cryptocurrencies is higher than the internet was. So even though a lot of projects might not work, you can really look like the fundamental thing of 
you know, network effect is adoption. The more people that use it, the more valuable it gets, and that's why more people use it. Uh, also, so I, I think my personal, uh, what I really like is Ethereum, for example, because it has problems right now. Like if you're new to crypto and you want to buy something, it costs like three hundred dollars just to make a transaction, and you maybe have use hundred bucks, right? Um, so, so I understand that's hard, and I think that might get solved with the new ETH 2.0 and uh, the up upgrades that they are uh, doing. But yeah, always changing, always trying to learn what's new in the market and keep an open mind approach. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess uh, focusing on crypto again, uh, what are you most excited about in the crypto scene, uh, both right now and in the long run? So I heard this new phrase, and this might be the new buzzword, I'm not sure. Mm. So I talked to my colleague about this, and it's called Omnichain. And the Frank RCO is like, yeah, that's going to be a word. <laughs> and, and it's funny because you always have these buzzwords in the crypto space, like Metaverse was one, then NFTs, mm -hmm. and everyone just buys that name, right? Just like the dot-com bubble. Yeah, It's the same thing. Some will survive, some will not, right? Omnichain, because if you look at the complexity of cryptocurrencies, you have different layer ones. You have Ethereum, you have Solana, you have Terra Luna. You have um, a lot. Um and, and all these, Harmony, for example, and all these chains have their own platforms that they have their unique ability, right? But it's hard to bridge. Maybe you want to go from Ethereum to Solana or from Solana to Harmony, et cetera, et cetera. You need someone to make a bridge from that token standard into the next. And I think those bridges will, make it ex will be extremely important going forward because uh, if we're going to increase the adoption of cryptocurrency, we have to make it easy for everyone. And every blockchain has its unique um you could say strengths and weaknesses and i think all of them will be used in different cases um so omnichain would be cosmos for example or polkadot mm. which connects uh, all different blockchains uh, in one um so i think that's i think that's something that will be very cool going forward so interoperability uh, chains uh, that make you you know you can use all the blockchains in one blockchain um, and maybe platforms to help to bridge uh, between all of these. I think I'm looking out for the next market uh, cycle because this market cycle, I have my computer here, but I can't show people that listen. Um, but, you know, it's very interesting. When you look at the cycle, I, I checked, I backtracked this, just as when I did that article, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, we're closing into that, you know, low price range again. Uh, it might be different this time, has never been that, you know, uh, it's always repeated itself. And the, the length of the cycle was exactly 35 months for Bitcoin and total market cap, and which, which, which was from 2019, January to 2022, November. No, 21 November, of course. <laughs> We're not there yet. Uh, and if you look at the previous cycles from 2013 uh, uh, down... No, 2010 to 2013, down to 2014, 15, then up to 2018, they all have been 35 months. So I thought it was very interesting because I thought we would have a blow-off top in November, and uh, like everyone thought, but that didn't happen. But NFTs got their blow-off top. Yeah. So so it was like the NFT market took over from this usual uh, crypto cycle that we see, and now we're down 60, 50, 60 percent, and. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting going forward, see how that develops. Well, I guess uh, to continue, uh, w w 
because uh, as you may agree on uh, the like the digital asset space in general is a very immature it's a very new technology it's a new market uh, what what are the most important developments that you're seeing or do you want to see within the space to allow for some use cases to be filled and allow for wider adoption well i think here's the thing when when i actually go to like let's say public events and it used to be social right uh, i hang out out with my friends and uh, someone asks what do you do for a living and i, I work yeah. in crypto they're like what <laughs> can you do that <laughs> and then they're like can you explain this to me i don't understand it or i don't believe in it and after a while <laughs> you know it gets tiring because you have to explain it's a lot to explain you can't just jump into nfts without understanding the blockchain and to understand the blockchain, you have to go into the money incentive of people, right? So, uh, but to answer the question, I think adoption will happen either like we want it or not. We always have to improve the, uh, you know, the user experience, and people will see value in that because people will a little bit not forced, but there will be so many opportunities. You have a market cap of one point four trillion now. I mean, the stock market in America is 94 trillion, or if it's the world, everyone follows the stock market in America anyway. Yeah. Uh, gold is 12 trillion. You have the derivatives market, which is 1.5 quadrillion. Like cryptocurrency is so small that you don't have to risk a lot in order to, you know, to, to earn a lot. And that will create you know, a very big incentive for VCs and investment firms to invest. And that will also make it you know, eventually we will have this user experience, which is more simple. Because right now it's not simple. You have to, you know, you have to buy some Ethereum. You have to download MetaMask, for example, in the wallet. And then you have to pay every fee <laughs> you can, so you don't have any Ethereum left. And then you have to oh, connect that to a smart contract or a DeFi platform or OpenSea, right, to buy some NFTs. It's not easy, right? But I truly believe that eventually we will use cryptocurrency and digital assets but we won't know even what blockchain it is. It's not, we don't know if it's Ethereum, Solana, or some new blockchain. It will be so easy just as we're logging into Facebook or anything. We don't have to know exactly what server it is or where it is and yada yada. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be there. It's, gonna, it's just going to take time. We're very early still. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. To continue, I thought before we dive too deep into kind of the macro perspective and where you see... Uh, prices and, and the market moving in the future. I thought it'd be fun to kind of talk a bit about your your work as a fellow and what that is, and, and both like what are your day to day tasks as well as uh, just what is it? What is a fellow for for someone who doesn't know? Yeah, so Cefalo is uh is actually the biggest uh, cryptocurrency exchange in Sweden. Um, we have around two hundred fifty thousand customers and uh, has been registered at the financial at, with the financial authority since two thousand thirteen. Uh, we offer. You know, five cryptocurrencies right now. Um, so we, we, in general, we offer a very safe and secure and easy way to buy cryptocurrency. Um, you just take up your, ban uh, your mobile bank ID and sign the switch transaction, and then you have crypto in your wallet. And it's also powered by the Firebox MPC technology, which is the most secure way to store your private keys. We haven't gone into private keys, but yeah. uh, <laughs> it's 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 you, you can think of it as the the key if if someone holds your private key, they owns your coins, right? So it's it's like your um, signature on your not signature, but the code on your Visa card on the back, right? Those three numbers. Um, so Fireblocks makes it very easy to store that. Um, that's what we do, honestly, and we really focus on the compliance part. You know, being being very um, following the current rules and regulations, even though 
it's pretty unclear what they are. We do our best, you know, to to fight money laundering and and um, in that regard, yes. Well, with that, then, like, uh, how is the regular regulatory framework looking in Sweden, and how do you think that its development will shape the future of both Cefalo and uh, the crypto space in Sweden? Yes, and this is a great question for our compliance department. <laughs> Shout out! <laughs> no, no, but uh, well, I what I do know is that we have some current regulations coming on board from the EU perspective, and it's Mika, which will come in into you know, coming to action 2024. And um, it's not clear what they want to do, but they will pretty much put out a framework on how to use different cryptocurrencies, what is allowed and what is not. For example, no central bank or government likes stablecoins. Um, stablecoins is just a pegged fiat currency, and that's not good because they need to, in some way, you know, uh, have the system as it is, right? So... Uh, they, they don't want to lose control of that for several different reasons. Um, you have the travel rule as well, which is every time someone uh, transfers uh, more than $10,000 in cryptocurrency value, um, we pretty much have to know who it is and what they do, etc. Um, that's why we have a very simple mobile bank ID KYC process. In a lot of different exchanges, you have to upload you know, your ID and it has to be processed and stuff as such. Um, Apart from that, you also have um, the unhosted and hosted wallets that was um, put into place now, or it was voted as an um, option, you could say, uh, where you could, okay, hosted wallets are uh, wallets that an exchange has, right? And then we know who that is, uh, etc. But an unhosted wallet is, for example, MetaMask or Ledger, if you want to store your crypto on uh, by, your own, uh, by yourself. Uh, we will now, if that comes into play, we will also now have to know who owns that wallet and who they interacted with. Mm-hmm. And it, and this just tells me that the regulators don't really understand crypto because if you really go into the, for example, DeFi space, no, you don't know who you interact with, right? It's just a transaction that you see on the blockchain. And for all the you know exchanges to know what the you know who owned this ho- uh, unhosted wallet will be extremely difficult and a little bit you know taken you know, take away people's sovereignty right and their individual freedom to protect their data and who they are so i think that's going to be interesting they try to ban they try to ban not bitcoin but mining of bitcoin and in essence banning bitcoin because someone said, well, you can just change the way you just change it to proof of stake right where the europe that is yes yeah, you, yeah. And that would make us out of business, right? Because if you ban proof of work Bitcoin, you ban everyone who interacts with Bitcoin. <laughs> because proof of work is what makes Bitcoin work, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then you have, for example, different uh, proof of stakes and such. But yeah. Well, then I guess w- with the banning, do, do you see currently uh, in terms of uh, regulators, uh, are they slightly misinformed with how the crypto space works or... What do you think is important for them to realize or know in terms of now when they're developing a regulatory framework? Because ultimately, it is beneficial for the space to protect investors and allow for a more pleasant, wider adoption for people. I agree. I agree 100%. Like We need regulation because it's going to be hard to reach the mass adoption phase if we don't have regulation because a lot of companies can't get into crypto. 
because the regulation is clear, unclear and it's not worth for them because they could get fined and they could lose all, you know a lot of money uh, just by entering the space. So I, I think the regulation is really, really important to make clear you know, guidelines and risk assessments because there are a lot of scams out there, right? And it's a difficult space. But uh, you have to find this balance. And I think a lot of people in general, people always fear change. And we have something that you don't really understand it can be easy to dismiss it and attack it. And so I think it will work eventually. It's just going to be hard. It's like regulating the internet. It was pretty hard to, you know, crack down on uTorrent and downloading. And the reason for it is because it's decentralized. It's not one entity that controls all the data. People around the world, you know, upload their own files. So it hasn't been stopped now. So I think you will probably have this, you know, back and forth now for a while where the regulators go too far and then they back off and then you will have this push and pull and eventually they'll come to a good conclusion, I I, I hope. Yeah. yeah, no, I think that that makes a lot of sense as well. And I think Cefalo in general has done a, a great job with kind of being the middle ground between mm. like the, the regulatory aspect and having like mm. a very easy onboarding process with yes. with BankID and stuff, but also kind of adhering to, to the trustless system because that's kind of like what DeFi is, is mm. by definition, you don't need to trust anyone. Yes. The, the smart contracts take care of that for you. Yes. Um, but diving in a, a bit to, to your role in Cefalo, what are your like day-to-day operations and what does your day-to-life look like? So right now I'm a little bit everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So I'm a little bit more into operations at the moment. Um, I handle all our business customers and everyone that wants to, you know, buy crypto with their business uh, or through their business. Then I also do market updates, uh, marketing content and help the operation team, you know, to uh, pretty much scale you could say, which is we are in a scale-up phase. Uh, and then also I do the daily support uh, if customers need help, high net worth individuals and such in, in a more, yeah. I guess that uh, brings up an interesting question as well. Do you see, I mean, Mike, Michael Saylor is a big proponent for it, but having uh, Bitcoin on the balance sheet of, of companies, how, how do you kind of see that going forward or cryptocurrencies in general maybe mm. uh, on the balance sheets of companies in the future? 100%. I think... I think a lot of companies are scared because they don't really know how to store it, how to you know pay tax on it, and how to um, um, what do you say um, account it. I, I don't know the word in yeah, English. Put it on the balance sheet. Put, I guess. Yeah, exactly, and how to do it correctly. Because I think from what I've understood, Bitcoin should be classified as an immaterial asset, and uh, you know you want to do it correctly. So there is a demand. Uh, but most people, you know, they're still on the Bitcoin uh, front. So businesses, of course, are very interested. And I see that. But you could also hear what Fireblocks is saying. And Fireblocks is this, you know, biggest institutional digital asset cust- custodian, which we partner with or are uh, a client with. And you can see that a lot of institutions want to get in. They want to get into the metaverse, the DeFi space and such. But I think when the regulation gets more clear, and uh, everything gets more clear, you will see this FOMO from institutional money. Because this is the first time in history, you know, ordinary people can front-run institutions and Wall Street, which is great. <laughs> mm-hmm. would, uh, would Bitcoin ETFs help with uh, this, uh, given that there's more clear regulation regarding ETFs and how to account it and etc.? Yeah, I think every, you know, every, uh, every option to make it more you know, easier to invest. I think it's good in eventually. But I also think when you look at the centralized finance space, it's always an ETF and such. And for example, certificates is always a little bit like an IOU, right? You 
you trust that someone holds your your coins, which might not always be true. I'm not saying not it's not. It's just that um, if you want to own real crypto, uh, you're gonna go into the crypto space, and that's why you know Safello signed an uh, LOI with Avanza, right? Um, so there is an interest for real crypto, not just certificates and ETFs. But ETFs and certificates, I think, really help people take the first step. And then when they, you know, feel the water a little bit, the volatile asset, okay, let's let's try a little bit more. And then, so I think it's a great way to um, be a first stepping stone. But uh, I think we move on to uh, to the macro perspective, which I think would be quite fun to, to hear your take on it and just kind of, it seems like the majority sentiment is that we're going into a bear market, if, if you think that's true or if we're going to see another all-time high uh, during this cycle, uh, as well as just kind of your general thoughts on on everything. Um, and then last month, I don't know if you were about or checked this morning with like the, the de-pegging of, of yeah. the stable coin as well. Yeah, USD. We uh, I had it. I was sad. Uh, okay. <laughs> no, it's, it's fine. Re- it's I didn't have that much, bit, so yeah. it's, it's okay. Uh, but we can start with the macro perspective at least. <laughs> yeah, so, well... To begin with, uh, the climate we have right now, right? So since 2008, we've had a bull market in equities uh, pretty much because of the low interest rates and the printing of money. And this has fueled uh, a big debt bubble. And now when they're talking about increasing rates in order to fight inflation, of course, that's going to put pressure on equities. So the macro picture right now, of course, doesn't look too good. But from my perspective, from my market graph perspective it looks like an ordinary pullback because if you think about it inflation is at uh, america was eight percent i think if i'm not mistaken and the interest rates on the long-term bonds which is 10 years bonds uh, which is always the market bonds that you know um the market always chooses to increase those if they fear rate hikes it's a it's at three percent so it's still the real rate of return is still negative meaning that it's still valuable to borrow money because the inflation kills the debt and the interest rates you get for it is lower than the inflation. So I think the market will is is really scared right now and is pricing in a higher rates, but I do not think this is going to put a long-term bear market in equities. And right now, cryptocurrency is like 95 correlation with uh, the equity uh, market, which in turn, I think the cryptocurrency is also in for this wild correction, but in a cryptocurrency term it is a bear market right now like we can't really say anything else we're down 50 50 60 percent bitcoin went from 60k to now 30 um and we'll see how low that goes but in general i i truly believe that this year is going to be tough first of all and uh, if we follow the cycle honestly we will probably bottom out in november december around there but who knows it can change as well right because if the stock market continues to crater because let's face it, it, it's handling a lot of things, right? It's handling war in Ukraine. It's handling record high inflation. It's handling also supply chain shortages and increased um, increase uh, increase of interest rates. And that's a lot to take in. And that, therefore, yesterday we saw like a big fear trade. Crypto just collapsed. Like <laughs> it crashed big. I think Terra Luna, which is one of the layer ones, which is like top 10, crashed 50%. That's That's a lot. And their stable peg, um, stable coin, <laughs> not so stable anymore, uh, went from went to zero point six um, per. Yes, exactly, and um, we can go into that protocol a little bit more later. But 
Um, in essence, I truly believe we are in for a normal correction. I think the stock market will correct a little bit more. We might have a bounce now, you know, to 38 on the Bitcoin as a 10, 20% up. But then if stock markets continue down, I think crypto will follow. But I think we'll recover. And it might actually recover after the summer because the things that are happening now, what we had is like momentum uh, shift. And every time that has happened before, it's always 14, 13 to 15 weeks away from the bottom. I don't know if these indicators are still valid because we have a different landscape, but for now it looks it looks like that. So we'll see. I'm curious uh, because, uh, as you mentioned before, uh, a large view perspective towards Bitcoin is it, it being a store of value. Mm. Uh, so. W- but as you may know, it's gone yeah. down 50%. Yeah. It's highly correlated with the stock market. Mm. Um, what, what are the reasons behind this? And does it still have that future of being a kind of a safe haven store of value assets like gold? Yeah, it's a great question because it comes back to like Bitcoin still trades as a risk on asset and a little bit as a risk off. But I think during this speculation phase, you always have people. So, so the holders believe it as digital gold, right? And it's going to be volatile until the market cap gets up to very high, right? And it's not going to be used as a currency until that because it's it's too volatile, pretty much. Um, I do believe we have a shakeout period now. If you look at tech stocks, I mean, Netflix is down like 70 80%. Spotify has <laughs> collapsed, all-time low. Uh, you have Shopify. Pretty much every tech stock is really, really hitting hard. And the reason for it, because they're very, very sensitive to uh, increases in interest rates. So Bitcoin has this follow-along effect where people are scared and you sell everything. Um, but I think when the currency, excuse me, <coughs> sorry about that. Um, when we get to this point, uh, which Ray Dalio also pushes on a lot, which is pretty much the best hedge fund manager in the world, you always have this switching of world orders and when that happens um, you have a shift in the currency and monetary system and every time that has happened gold and precious metals and commodities has always been a huge uh, value right and increased a lot i think bitcoin when that happens it will go from this risk on to risk off and the reason for it is because people that have bonds and bonds pretty much what we stated is you borrow money to the government, you get a yield, and that yield is lower than inflation, so you 100% lose money. So <laughs> it's just going to be a time before people realize, well, we don't want to have bonds, and that's a market of $200 trillion. That money has to go somewhere, and if it doesn't go into the currency because people don't like the currency, it has to go into other assets, and that's when I think crypto, gold, silver, and commodities will re- really thrive. But that can be like 50 years from now, when no one knows. But from a mathematical standpoint... We have a debt-based economic system and the, the debt always increases, the state debt, and it's not sustainable. And eventually you have to print away the debt away or you have to default. And historically, politicians have always chosen to you know, print it away because it's easier. Uh, so, yeah. I guess continuing on with, with the question of basically the cryptocurrency sector taking over parts or, or all of other kind of traditional asset classes, do you see... a, a a fun question to ask is basically, do you see Bitcoin being the dominant like overtaker there? Do you see either some kind of flipping happening or, or something else? I mean, obviously, Bitcoin has the most battle-tested years with like thir- about 13 years now. Um, but do you see th- anything else taking taking over that kind of Bitcoin's role in, in taking over? 
<clears throat> yeah, a lot of people have been talking about the flipping rights, and I'm not sure actually. I, I I think Ethereum might take over because of, you know, Bitcoin has a store of value proposition. That's it, right? And there's only so high it can go. Meanwhile, the other layers have, you know, another form of adoption because you can use it. It has a lot more utility to it. And I think a lot of people will might might use that because they're not interested in Bitcoin and gold because you can't do anything fun with it. But on Ethereum, you can play games with NFTs. You can, you know, jump into the metaverse and look at your Nike shoes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which Which people will find very valuable. And I think... It's going to be interesting how people view Bitcoin if the flipping happens. And I, I actually believe it will at one point, but I'm not sure when. For uh, our listeners, what what is the flipping? <coughs> yeah, uh, so the flipping is when another market cap goes beyond Bitcoin. So right now you have Bitcoin has always been, you know, the majority of all the market cap of all cryptocurrencies. I think it's like 30% of all the cryptocurrencies might be higher now. But um, when when market cap of, for example, Ethereum surpasses Bitcoin, you have a flipping moment. And it's called the flipping because it is pretty big. Because if you have this view that Bitcoin is king and it's not really, and money is subjective, you know, you, it might lose its, its, um, its cool touch, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Another one is like focusing on just this particular, say we go into the bear market over the next few years. Uh, how do you see that? Obviously, you be, having been in a previous bear market, see kind of the two differences between the the state of cryptocurrencies now with all the inter- institutional inflow that you're talking about with with VC funds and hedge funds, etc., coming into the uh, the asset class, uh, affecting both the volatility as well as like the market lows. Uh, and do you see like more stability today compared to to when you first started? Yeah, I mean, if you look at, for example, the total market cap and Bitcoin, for example, we have gone sideways. Uh, since February last year. So over a year, we've pretty much gone up and down, up and down with moves of 100%, which is a lot, of course, but still sideways if you zoom out. And I truly believe that we won't get this like... We have we have had a sharp sell-off now. Will it go down 90, 95? I don't think so. We might go down 60, 70, but we didn't go up as much either. So it looks like the market is adjusting to the new inflow of money. And the price structure will change a little bit. Um, so the drawdown will depend on how much the stock market goes down because we have such a high correlation, right? Uh, but I don't believe we'll go down like the last bear market, 90, uh, 95%, no. Some, and that's the funny thing, like some altcoins went down 99.8% and then went up 10,000%. <laughs> and that's a good asymmetric bet. You can put in, I don't know, 100 crowns. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you might lose it, of course, but... There's always a nice upside. Uh, well, uh, we went. You went in earlier about uh, Bitcoin currently being a risk on asset and its correlation to the stock market. But for the rest of the uh, cryptocurrency space, um, do you see the correlation between it and the stock market as here to stay, or is it something that will eventually be diverted in well, the future? I, the hard thing is like this correlation really picked up speed after the COVID crash. Because after the COVID crash, you had <clears throat> lowering interest rates again and printing of you know a lot of money, and that just fueled this risk on assets more. I think it will continue for a while. I truly do, um, and I'm not sure when. But I think when crypto is getting to a certain adoption rate point, where people really uh, 
use the protocols uh, for the, um, you could say, for the experience and not just the money, uh, you will have a shift in the market. And it's going to be a lot more difficult because now everything moves pretty much the same. It's just the return is a little bit different. But when you get this utility and the use case where people just do use this on a daily basis, you will have like the internet now. Some companies will go up, some companies will go down based on who and uh, how many people are using them. But the correlation is probably going to be here to stay until uh, until some real daily use cases happen for everyday people, I think. Okay. So we've delved into cryptocurrencies or crypto as digital assets, whatever you can, the, <laughs> whatever you can call it. Um, but apart from that, uh, I guess in terms of the digital asset space, then you could say, what are v- your views on the rest of them? So NFTs, uh, the future of Web3, the metaverse. Mm. Yeah, I think uh, it's all here to stay, but in different forms. Some of me and my colleague talked, for example, about NFTs, because if you think about it, it's just also another way to verify data and store data in a non-fungible way, because NFT stands for non-fungible tokens, right? Bitcoin, Ethereum are fungible tokens, meaning that one Ethereum is worth one Ethereum, which in your wallet and my wallet. Uh, but an NFT might be different in your wallet and my wallet, even if it's the same type of NFT, for example, Bored Apes or whatever you have. Um, so, so if you look at the real world, you have a lot of non-fungible things like houses, art and such. And all of these will be merged, not all, but a lot will be merged into the digital world as well. So you have a digital representation and a physical representation. And NFTs using the blockchain, using some form of cryptocurrency platform, for example, Ethereum, will uh, verify this. So for example, if you want to buy a new dishwasher, you might have an NFT connected to the dishwasher and you take on like these augmented reality glasses where you see like the digital world and the physical world. You click on this uh, dishwasher for example and you will get some data from that okay it's long longevity is x amount of years it its efficiency is this this amount of years and that will happen with cars and i think planes so and that will actually make people creating these assets have to you know really uh, create value right because they can't mixture or or you know um change the blockchain so consumers will be able to, for example to use nfts in order to make better purchasing decisions in the real world I think that would be a cool use case. That's cool. That's cool. Uh, so I guess you delved into it a bit, but so what, what what makes NFTs so special? Because I think a lot of people have a hard time to grasp grasp it. Mm. Uh, a lot of the time they argue it's just a JPEG. I can copy it. Mm. Uh, is it is it almost that um, it, you can it allows for scarcity in the digital world. Mm. So for example, with video games, mm. you you never truly owned it. You just purchased it purchased right. it for that CSGO game but it never transfers over to other games or the next right. new game right. uh, what, 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 what's your view on what makes it so special well um, I think if we go back to like the fundamentals of it because it can have so many shape and forms if you can verify if, if we just go from the hypothesis that the digital world is valuable for us right our Instagram is valuable our Facebook is valuable our photos are valuable even though you know someone can copy it, whatever, it's still valuable for you. This way we can secure on who owns what, right? You can fake uh, a painting, but you know it's going to be fake. Like the Mona Lisa fake one is not worth as much as the real one. And you will have digital artists that people will just value it more. And when they go into the metaverse, they will see that it's a fake one, right? You have the fake shoes, I have the real ones. 
And, and so, so we'll have probably these digital avatars, which has value, uh, digital value, and you will be able to jump with your avatar across, you know, different metaverses and such and use your NFTs. For example, another use case for NFTs, which I think would be cool, is let's say you buy um, an NFT just in general, and then you hang it up on your home, in your home. Maybe from a, you know, you can show it from a um, TV or, or, or such. Uh, or maybe these uh, digital glasses. When you move, you can just bring your NFT with you without you know having to move the physical asset. So that's also a very cool perk. So I think people will value uh, digital assets more because now you can verify it. Even if you copy it, people know it's fake. And people will be like, well, it's fake, so it doesn't have any value. You couldn't do that before because you know everyone can just copy it. But now you can really go into depth that, well, in this smart contract, you can see that it's not fake. So it almost allows for you know you know certain you know these certificates that verify the authenticity of, for example, paintings or etc. Yes. It yes. allows it to, to uh, be valid uh, digitally. So it makes yes. it much easier, much more transportable, and much yes. easier to use. Yes, and store the wealth. Like yeah, if you want to use your painting now, let's say you have a really expensive artwork. Yes, for example, but to really like borrow from that artwork. Let's say you need some cash. It's not that easy. You have to move it into safe storage, whatever. With an NFT, you could just lock it into a smart contract, which is secured by the blockchain, and you get tokens representing that, which you can just use whatever. And then you pay that back, you get back your painting. So you will be able to lock in your NFTs in like DeFi protocols. So you will be able to like lock in your house and borrow from your house in a completely different way. And I think that's really cool. Because that's very valuable. Right now, people borrow from their houses like a lot. And let's say you can borrow from other assets that are digital. I think that's cool. I guess speaking about this kind of upcoming bull market and, and like the NFTs and all like the Web3 yeah. buzzwords, et cetera, that have come from, from this phase, what do you see kind of staying and being here for the long run? Uh, if you compare like say ICOs are kind of from, from the mm. 2017 cycle, what do you see as like the most interesting and maybe what do you think is going to die off in this like bear cycle? In NFTs? Uh, just in, in general. In general. In the, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to say. I think the layer ones, the, the thing, the, the protocols that has the most adoption, right? And the most utility will stay. Like for example, Ethereum will most likely stay, Bitcoin, for example. And I think other layer ones. And then I think, you have these protocols like Polygon and Immutable X, for example, that scales Ethereum. So it makes Ethereum cheaper and better. Um, I think all the protocols, not all, but the protocols that are still used the most, of course, and the protocols that have a foundation where a lot of people can, you know, build a lot of games on top of, for example, Engine, uh, which is, you know, pretty much a gaming platform built on top of the Ethereum, but specialized for gaming. Um I think will really be valuable. Um, so, so I I personally believe in the the underlying technology that makes all the other games and such work because hard to like bet on top of which game is gonna work, which play to earn crypto game is gonna be the best. So instead, just you know, I buy the platform that is gonna make it every every game work. I think that's gonna yeah. So unless crypto goes to zero, I should be fine. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh... I guess what 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 are some you've been in crypto for a long time and you discussed it with a lot of people from experts to people that are very new to it or don't know anything about it uh, what what are some common mistakes that people make when they are trying to grasp 
the fundamentals of Bitcoin, crypto, and the space in general? I think the most uh, difficult part where people have a hard uh, reason to, uh, you know, understand it and go into it is because I think complacency, first of all. If you look at Sweden, you know, we have a really good functioning society where you can use Swish and it's very simple, like... It's very easy. So you, you don't have a you don't need you don't need to. Like honestly, you don't need to use crypto in as a Swedish person uh right now. Like there's no really use case that would benefit you what I see. But when that becomes more clear, people will use it because it's going to be, you know, you're going to be able to track your, you know, electricity bill a lot more. You're going to be able to track your uh, payments and all all of all of your bills and such and it could be automatic and so it's going to be more efficient, more cheap, and more valuable for you to just live. But before we get there, there will be investment opportunities, right? So that's that's the benefit of being early, right? You invest in technology that might, you know, develop these use cases, and then you get the reward from that. But so so I think when the adoption gets big enough and the use case gets big enough, people embrace it. But it's also if if Sweden doesn't embrace it, we will be behind, right? Because if you look at Asia, which probably will be the emerging power, power, for example, China, they are very tech-oriented. And you just see how much the internet changed things. Crypto, crypto is going to change digital assets. And if we're not ready for it, then I think we're going to be behind. You know, so. Yeah, and I guess building on that question as well, what do you then see as, what are the best tips for, for someone kind of entering the space or, or that listen to this podcast and yeah. are interested to, to learn more? Well, if you want to go from an investment standpoint, it's of course important to not, you know, uh, put in more money than you can lose with leverage and everything because it's so volatile. And I've done this mistake personally a lot. You know, I've lost my money a lot of times, you know, in the crypto because you get so greedy and you get, you you don't really, uh, how can you say, you put in more money than you can handle the volatility and then you get emotional. So most people lose money in crypto. Like that's, it's very interesting. If you look at your graph, like how can you lose money in this? But every down, like little down dip is like 40, 50%. People are not used to that from the stock market. Like 20% stock market is nothing if you've been in crypto for a while. Like, oh, this is a normal day, right? Yeah. <laughs> so so I, I really think never invest more money than you can lose and start slowly. You know, Avanza is good because you get ESCO, which is like zero tax, not zero tax, but it's very low tax, which is really insane if you think about it. Uh, you learn the volatility there and then maybe you're interested in NFTs then you go into the Ethereum space Solana maybe and Polygon would be good because you use Ethereum blockchain but for cheaper so I think baby steps and then be careful and not you know if you're not if you're not understanding your investments you shouldn't put in too much money into it it's just like a stock if you buy a stock I don't know GameStop whatever that um, just for the hype for example then it's going to be tough to hold on to it for long. Yeah. So we've delved a little bit into your current life with mm. Cephalo and etc. Uh, what What are your future plans now coming going forward? Uh, is it with Cephalo to continue developing? And then I guess, what's your five-year plan or like 10-year plan? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been hard for me because I know I want to work with crypto, but then in what area, if it's going to be investment, sales marketing, uh, etc. So we'll see. It, it goes a little bit more to the selling and the trading and investing area, so to speak. So I'll probably try to go into that direction. 
But right now, you know, I learned a lot at Cefalo, so I'll probably stay there for a while and see how this develops because we have really, you know, we have a good opportunity going forward here because um, we are the biggest, uh, you know, exchange in Sweden um, and ha- have this reputation, this, you know, Swedish <laughs> safe reputation to make the cryptocurrency space a little bit more safe. So we'll see. That's the... I know I want to work in crypto, but I might not know 100% where in crypto. So I'll try to actually, my plan now is just to learn a little bit more than just the market, which is great, but like regulation and like accounting, because I think if you know that, then you get more valuable as well on the marketplace. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, before we take our final question, mm. uh, it's been incredible to have you on, and thank you so much for taking your time to be here. No problem. Uh, but for people who are listening and maybe want to ha- have a quick question or want to ask you something, what's the best way to, to contact you or, or learn more about Cefello or uh, mm. tweet, tweet at you or something like that? Um, so they could follow me on LinkedIn, of course. I think I'm pretty responsive there. Otherwise, uh, I have my Cefello mail, of course, which uh, alexander at cefello.com, which you also can reach me at i think those two places are the best at the moment yeah uh i haven't got up my twitter you know my twitter um you know expertise as of yet i should get into twitter more uh, because you learn a lot from twitter like a lot but i haven't done that as of yet so yeah i think those two are the best we'll put those links in the bio or the description of the podcast yeah Uh, all right, and then our, our last question then is: If you could leave the audience uh, with one final thing uh, from the podcast, or, or a statement one last or sentence, a quote, uh, yeah, what would that be? Okay, <laughs> put you in the spotlight a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but uh, I think believe. Oh, this sounds uh, sh- not shady when you say cheesy. No, but when it comes to really investing in crypto, I think really believe in your own, you know. Um, knowledge in it because no one pretty much knows how it's going to go so you do your homework and then uh, believe in a project you you buy it and you hold it for the long term i think you're going to be fine uh, but do your do your research before investing right so perfect well thank you for coming it's been thank an you. amazing conversation yeah thank you yeah it was fun If you'd like to learn more about the digital asset society you can visit the link in the description we also have a newsletter which we post weekly Disclosure, some Digital Asset Society members are invested in certain coins, tokens, or NFTs, which may have been spoken about in today's episode. This statement is intended to disclose any conflict of interest and should not be misconstrued as a recommendation to purchase any coin, token, or NFT. This content is for informational purposes only, and you should not make any investment decisions based solely on it.